The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, let's pray together. So, Father, we do thank you for all that we've just sung. You sent your Son. He emptied himself and took on flesh started in a cradle, made his way all the way to a cross, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserved to die. And so now we come to this text this morning, and Father, we're asking you to pour out the Spirit to help us see and worship Jesus, to encourage, strengthen our hearts, to not only see the light, but as we see the light, as we gaze upon Christ with unveiled face to behold His glory and to be changed from one degree of glory to the next into the same image. That would be a miracle, and we're asking you to do it by your Spirit. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's the third week of this Advent season. And the theme, I don't know if you follow along with the themes of Advent, I've started doing that the last few years, and the theme of Advent this week, and the reason that we sang all the songs we did, is joy. And what we talk about a lot here at the the South Congregation is the idea of unshakable joy, right? Untouchable joy. And my prayer for us is that we'd be a people with a joy that's untouchable by life circumstances and will stretch all the way into eternity. That's the kind of joy I want us to have. And Advent should be the perfect time for this kind of joy to be cultivated in our hearts. Right? We remember Jesus came once to die for our sins and rose again to conquer death. We set our hearts on the truth that He'll come again and make all things new. We sing, even so, come. Right? This is the perfect time to center, to orient our hearts on Jesus. But I'm realistic about what this season is like. There's a couple things that happen in this particular season that keep us from that kind of reorienting, that kind of grounding in joy. One of them is we get so busy. Anyone busy in this season at all right now? Right? Some are admitting it, some are lying. <laughs> there's lots of time and there's lots of energy that our culture demands. It's just kind of the air we breathe. There's lots of events, lots of running around, lots of con- concerts, lots of gatherings, and very little, often, reflection time. Does anyone ever get to the other side of New, Year, New Year's and just want to take a nap and take a deep breath? A lot of people do, right? You get to the end, or you ask someone in this season, How, how's it going? How's your Christmas season? And what, what do people say? It's really busy, but it's good. Right? <laughs> kind of out of breath. The second thing that messes up this kind of joy is a kind of lesser joy that we long for, that we hope Christmas will bring, that we hope Advent will bring to us, and we just find it kind of slipping through our fingers the whole season. Christmas movies and commercials and our own hearts set an expectation that there will be magical moments all around. And there, there are some, 
there are some magical moments. But many people will find themselves feeling that the sweetest moments in this season just don't last long enough. Or you'll find yourself feeling that they're celebrating without that person that they love who has since gone to be with Jesus. Or they'll find that there's a, a sweetness and a, a brokenness mixed into almost every gathering that they're a part of. There's joy, there's magic, right? There's cookies, bacon, there's all that, and there's these broken things in the midst of it. And what I find every year is that the nostalgia doesn't last. It doesn't last. The, the gathering ends, the season is over, and I found some years ago kind of a letdown. Oh man, I was hoping to be so much more. Well, if you find yourselves tired or out of breath or broken or a mixed bag this morning, my prayer is that what we'll see in John 1 will bring you a deeper joy as you see the true wonder of Christmas. That our God, our God, entered our mess to redeem us. Our God entered our mess to redeem us. That, that's amazing news. That you wouldn't have to count on Hallmark movies or nostalgia or presents for a wonder of Christmas. Though all those things are fine, except maybe the Hallmark movies. But rather... <laughs> good. An amen about something. we got one. But rather, you'd let the true Christmas joy, our Creator, becoming flesh to be our Savior, give you a settled, full joy in the wonders of His love. Right? We sing that. The wonders of His love. John 1 is a story about the wonders of His love. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know where you stand before God or what to do with the season or with Jesus. And I'm praying you'll taste full, better, deeper, truer joy. Light outside of you, not from within you. Light outside of you that comes and penetrates and gives you joy even today. So let's dive in to our text. Point number one, Jesus created the world. Now there's no way I can get through this passage and give it all the time that it's due in one sermon. There, there's so much here. But we're going to go through it and simply adore Jesus from kind of the 30,000 foot view today. Let me remind you where we've been the last couple weeks. Our God shines light in, in the creation of the world and in the conversion of sinners. Right? Let, the God who said, let light shine into darkness, Genesis 1, has shown into our hearts to help us see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And our God, when Adam preached, our God promised the light of conversion would shine to the ends of the earth. It's too light a thing, too small a thing for him to just save Israel. He's going to save the nations. He's going to shine this light all the way to the nations. And you'll remember that I said, I'm trying to help us stop settling for frustration or resignation in this world we live in and to have a settled hope and energy for our day that we would believe that God made us for this moment in our time. That God made us for this moment in our culture that we wouldn't just be frustrated or kind of resigned to the moment, but we'd be filled with hope and purpose of what God might do. And so today... We get to take a long look at Jesus, the person that is seen 
as Savior in conversion and the one promised to shine to the nation. So look, let's look at verses 1 to 3 first and see Jesus. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Well, who is this Word? This Word, I was going to give you the answer up front, is Jesus. If you go down to verse 14, one of the famous Christmas verses is, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. The Word is the Son of the Father. And the Gospels make it clear that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of the Father. So there's no doubt here this Word is Jesus. That's who we're talking about. And these verses go out of their way to teach us something about Jesus. And that message in these first three verses is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. How do these verses show us this? Well, three ways. Number one, Jesus was in the beginning, and he was in the beginning with God. What that means is when nothing else was except God, Jesus was. When nothing else was except God, Jesus was. Second, it says it explicitly, in case we try to manufacture some solution around that. It simply says Jesus was God, the Word was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God because Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Jesus is not merely a good teacher or a prophet. Jesus is not merely one of many options of salvation. Jesus is God. And three, just to pile on because there might be a few holes you might try to poke in that, lest we think maybe Jesus was created by God the Father to be the Son, at some later date, this makes it clear that all things were created by Jesus. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. If anything was made, Jesus made it, which means that Jesus wasn't made. That's the point. It's just piling on to show us that Jesus is God. Jesus was in the beginning because Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of the universe and everything that's made. And he was there in the beginning before any made thing was made. So together with his Father and the Spirit, the whole Trinity together, they created the universe. So when you see snow falling, like lots and lots and lots of snow falling this week, and you see a beautiful sunset, and you feel gravity hold you to the ground, and as you look around at all the other beauty, Jesus made that. Jesus made the world. Jesus claims it as creator. He is God and creator of the world. And this truth is the foundation of the good news of Christmas. If you don't believe Jesus is God, then you don't believe the Christian story. So why, why does this truth matter? What should it do in our hearts? Well, two things that I see. Number one is that perhaps it's an understated part of how we often talk about Jesus. We often talk about Him as Savior and Redeemer 
and friend and all that, but it's not often we talk about Jesus as creator. (laughs) The one who made all the things that were made. And that truth is supposed to cause us to worship. It's a testament to His power and His supremacy. As the snow falls this season, as you see things in creation, as you see fellow human beings, you worship Jesus. You say, thank you, Jesus. You're the creator of all things. And second, it really matters because without this truth, we could not be saved. Without this truth, we couldn't be saved. There was no mere man or animal that could atone for our sins against a holy God. The payment for something must match the worth of the offense. That's kind of what justice means. (laughs) That's the right payment for the, the seriousness of the offense. And we have sinned against an infinitely worthy God, and therefore the payment had to be infinitely costly. So I'm not as worthy as God. I I couldn't die for your sins. Only God could be the payment for sins against God. Let me give you an example of what I mean. You've probably heard this story before. I only have one life to live, so if you've heard it, it's an example. Kids, have you ever broken something that you're not supposed to break? Maybe a few things. Well, let me tell you uh, a life, there's a life lesson in here for you too, which is don't bring your kids into antique stores. So when Iris was very little, we were walking through an antique store, and I don't remember what it was exactly. There's a little trinket something that she bumped, and it fell on the ground. And I thought, you know, as, as I looked at it, well, this will probably be $5. We'll go bring it to the front. And it was like $38, right? Which to us felt like a big deal. <laughs> And so in that moment, what do you have to do? You have to go and you have to pay the $38, right? I I couldn't reach into my wallet and say, hey, here's my $5 Culver's card. Let's call it even, right? And so the, the worth of the offense means that you have to pay that much. And that's why I could never pay for your sins against God. That's why no animal could ever pay for your sins against God because there's only one who is worthy of that infinite of an offense, and it's God. God has to pay. So the first thing we see that gives us deep, unshakable, and untouchable joy is that our Savior, Jesus, the Word became flesh as our Creator, and He's God, Emmanuel, God with us, that we can be certain that He is able to pay for every last drop of our sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west. That's the foundation of the good news of Christmas. Point number two, Jesus came as the light of life. So when we see Jesus as God from the beginning, dwelling in eternity past in joy with His Father, and we see Him as the creator of the world, it makes the wonder of the Christmas story even more stunning. If that's who he is, then what happened at Christmas is even more stunning. Listen to verses 4 and 5, and then skip down with me to verse 9. In him, in the Word, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, 
which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So the Word, the Son of God, Jesus, the Creator of the world, became flesh and was coming into the world. That's stunning. Remember, He created it. We we just heard that He created this thing. Think of the love of God for the world that He would send His only Son, the God-man Jesus who created the world, to the world. That He'd come down to us. We can get some clues for why He had to come when we see what He brought. Right? Why did Jesus come at Christmas? Why, why did He come? Well, what does it say He brought? It says He brought life and light. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. What is What does that mean? What does it mean that the life in Jesus is the light of men? The life that he would bring is somehow going to be the the light to the world. Well, here's what I think John means. The world was headed towards death and was blind to reality. When John talks about the world... In John's letters, what he means by the world is the sinful corruption of man that creates an ungodly system that cannot see or worship God. That's what John means when he says the world. An an ungodly system because of the corruption of man that cannot see or worship God. He doesn't mean you can't enjoy anything in the world. He just means there's this system because of sin that rails against God. And so that world was headed towards death and was blind to reality. So when Jesus came with life in Him, for those who received His life, they not only passed from eternal death to eternal life, but they could see. Could finally see reality. So let me try to give you an analogy. Think of it this way. Imagine you grew up in a room with hungry lions. And the room is completely dark. The lions haven't gotten you yet for whatever reason. And right there, you don't even know you're in danger, right? It's, it's all darkness. It's always been darkness. You've never seen light. And so you can't see the danger. In fact, you think the lions are just cuddly and fuzzy friends because you've never seen them for what they are. And, and that's where you're living. Then... Someone bursts through the door. Right? They burst through the door, they turn on the light, and they rescue you from the room. Right now, in our Kelly and I, one of the shows we're watching is called FBI. Right? And this scene happens in every single show. There's someone in a dark place being held captive. Maybe there's been a ransom note, maybe there hasn't been. But what happens is they bust through the door, light breaks in, and they drag him out of there quick. And and that's the scene here. All at once, as this person busts through the door and turns on the light and rescues you from the room, you realize you've been saved. You can see the death that the darkness was hiding. You can see the lines. And as you're led out of the room into the rest of the world, you can see how small and deadly your previous existence was. This is what Jesus does. And the promise here is that the darkness has not overcome the light. And it won't overcome the light. 
Jesus came as the true light with life in him from cradle to cross. Jesus came with life in him that would push back the darkness of the world. And he's still shining. He's still shining his light. The darkness has not won and it will not win. There's another reason that you can have untouchable joy in this Advent season. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus, you don't find Him beautiful or lovely, you're not counting on Him as your Savior, you're not following Him as your Lord, I've been praying that He'd bust through the door and rescue you this morning. That you'd see light and come and walk in light. Point number three, the world rejects light and loves darkness. I want to take a moment to help you see how good this news is by showing you how bad our condition was. Right? This is, this is no little rescue. This is no small rescue mission. This isn't like you just need a little bit of Jesus' help. Or just a little bit of Jesus to get you out of this darkness. This is, this is him busting into a room that you didn't know you were in. This is him busting in and giving you sight when you couldn't see. Listen to verses 10 to 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. There he is again, creator. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The creator of Genesis 1 came to the world he made, and the world didn't know him. Can you imagine that? We can't, of course, because we're not God, we're not Jesus. But you created this thing. You spoke this thing into existence. And you show up. No one recognizes you. No one worships you. The promised Messiah of Isaiah 49, the light to the nations, comes to His people who had been waiting for Him. And they don't receive Him. They don't say, you're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah. Instead of recognition and rejoicing, there's rejection and rebellion. So the question is why? Why didn't they come to the light they'd been waiting for? And you might just say, well, they, they didn't see him. He looked like a regular dude, right? Remember, he took on flesh, Dave. There was all that stuff, and all that's part of it. But I want to know, what, what's the deeper answer? Why didn't they see him? Why didn't they come? Why don't people today still see him? Why don't they come? Why do sometimes we sit in the darkness and not want to come to him and walk in his light even as believers? Well, just a couple chapters later in John 3, verses 19 to 20, I think we get the root answer of why they don't come. Here's what it says. You can turn there, John 3, verses 19 to 20. Here's what it says. This is the judgment. Here's the judgment on the world. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Why didn't they rejoice in his light? Why didn't they run to him for eternal life? Why did they choose to stay in the darkness? Because they love the darkness. They love the darkness. Right? They, they loved their evil works. They hated the light, especially the perfect light of Jesus, because it exposed their works for the evil they were, and they loved their works. 
They didn't want to give up their works. They didn't want the light shining in the darkness in these things that they love to do. This is what the world does now and what we still do at times. Rather than come to the light, Jesus, and admit our evil deeds and our need for a Savior, the world calls good what God calls evil to pretend that it's light. Rather than let the light shine in, they just call the darkness light. They call what God calls evil good. It hides in the darkness. It doesn't feel guilt or shame. Well, deep down it does, but it medicates it and it numbs it by legalizing it and celebrating it. And the darkness grows as the sin that causes death masquerades as true life. Find your true life. Find your true self. Unless we get off the hook, isn't this the heart of our ongoing sin? My ongoing sin. Your ongoing sin. That link that you click on. That word of gossip. That bitterness you harbor in your heart that your mind runs to in those quiet moments. The anger you give into over and over again. We love our sin. We love the darkness. Or, we, or at least we love the things that it medicates. So, so what does all that sin kind of medicate? Control and power we lust after. We just want to control it. We just want life to go the way we want it to. What's so wrong with that? We just want power to make that happen. Or maybe it's just a desire for comfort and ease. Just make my life easy. Right? Sometimes our spouses and our kids and our friends and family don't do that. So we sin because we just want life to be easy. Or maybe it's the desire to look good to others. So we play games and put on masks and pretend. Or maybe it's just a desire for instant gratification that will make you not have to deal with reality. That link, or that show, or that post, or that blog, or that book, or that Bible study. (laughs) Whatever it is you run to, to not deal with what's really going on inside your heart. We all think our sin is good, or at least okay, until Jesus brings light in life. We all think that. So if you're here today and you feel no sadness over your sin or know deep down you're justifying your sin, you're living in darkness. I'm living in darkness in those places. Kids, to to explain to you what I mean, what I'm trying to say is that in that room of lions we talked about before, we loved that room. We didn't want someone to come and bust in and save us. We liked to cozy up with the lions. We didn't want to leave. We didn't want to come to the light. We didn't know there was something better, truer, fuller, deeper. And this is what the world does with Jesus. It loves the darkness. It loves its sin. It can't see there's something better, and so it rejects the true light and true life and has to try and replace it with weak substitutes. Really weak substitutes like power and money and popularity and prestige and entertainment. But those don't bring lasting joy. 
And if you're a true believer, you've seen the light and there's just some darkness in your life, you've never sinned. And then like five or six days later, it's gone, so, so glad I did that. It feels so good. Delivered on all its promises. The joy's just not fading at all. Right? You, you walk in the sin and then a couple days later, you just, Lord, help. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live in the darkness. I want, I want to walk in the light. And if you're here this morning, and you're just going, I've, I've never felt any conviction, any trouble in my heart over the, the way that I'm living my life and walking in darkness. I'm just praying. Whether you've been in church for your first time, someone put a hanger on your door, you don't know why you came, or you've been a Christian for 40 years coming to church, that the light would shine in your hearts and make you uncomfortable with what you see. And these things don't bring lasting light. They don't bring eternal life. But the good news is that the true light doesn't leave it up to us to go and find the light switch, which is what we're going to see in point number four. Jesus redeems a people to love his light. So read with me here verses 12 to 14. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So while many reject him, some receive him. It says they believe in the name of Jesus. This is good news. The lights go on. They have eternal life. They walk out of the room of lions and Jesus brings them into his house and invites them to sit and eat and drink with him. They become children of God. They move from enemies to friends. They move from children of darkness to children of light. They move from gloomy change of darkness and death and the devil and are set free into the light and life of God through Jesus. They see the glory of God. Right? This is, I'm just going to say this every week. Just get used to it. They see the glory of God, and they see that He's the Son of God that became flesh and lived the life we couldn't live. We couldn't do it. You can't do it. But He did take a deep breath and rest in His work. Then He died the death for sins that we deserve to die. Right? We've got to wrestle with the fact that we deserve to die. We deserved eternal hell. And said Jesus came and lived the perfect life and died that death in our place. Then he rose again. And he conquered death so that our guilt is not only forgiven for our sins, but we have new resurrection life that goes from now into eternity with him. How did that happen? How does that happen? Does it happen by being part of the right earthly family? Does it come because... You worked hard and you earned it, figured it out, right? grew up. Does it come because some other person decided they're worthy? Like kids, maybe you think you're a Christian because mom and dad come to church. It says they're born by the will of God. Now, if the analogy is true about the darkness, we're in there with a bunch of lions, it's all we've ever known, we don't even know to leave, can't see Someone's got to bust in. And this says it's not up to you. It's not up to your earthly family. It's not up to all that you can do or all that you can accomplish. 
It's up to God. It's by the will of God. John 3 puts it this way. It says, The Spirit blows and brings light to the darkness by showing them Jesus. The Spirit blows and brings life that conquers death by showing people Jesus. They're united to Jesus. His death to sin counts for their death to sin and removes their guilt. His perfect life counts as their righteousness and covers all their shame. Because here, here's the thing, is if Jesus didn't live the perfect life and cover our shame, when that door went wide open, you would not want to walk out there with all that shame. But Jesus says, God says, I don't see you that way anymore. I don't see you in all your darkness and your filth and your grime and your guilt. When I look at you, I see you in white, pure robes of righteousness. I see you and I love you like I love my son. Because he took your place. You get his death to sins and you get his righteousness covering your shame. God knew we loved our sin and were headed towards death in the darkness of that love. He knew we wouldn't look for a way out, so he sent Jesus. Sent Jesus. The Word became flesh. And then God sent the Spirit so that we could see the glory of Jesus and see, be wooed into the reality that there is so much more joy in being forgiven and following Him and putting to death our sin than in the trite and temporary joy of those false pleasures of sin. It wasn't because of our pedigree or achievements or some kind of inherent spirituality. We loved our sins. We loved them. I'd always say, if you want to prove it's the indwelling nature of sin, right? You don't have to teach little kids to sin. Right? You should have seen a car ride we had yesterday with our littlest, right? It's just in that little girl. <laughs> and we love her. We don't, we don't have to teach this. We cuddled with lions in the darkness. But God in His mercy accomplished what we couldn't and brought us into the family of God by sending His Son to take on flesh, be born in a cradle, walk the road of suffering to the cross, and pay for our sins. And then Jesus rose again and He conquered death to vindicate He was who He said He was and went back to the joy of the right hand of the Father where He waits to meet the blood-bought family face-to-face He has purchased who will spend all of eternity in His life and His light. That is the reality in the midst of the darkness of this world. Jesus is still shining. The darkness will not overcome His light. Jesus is still bringing life. The devil cannot hold people in the chains of death. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us to be the perfect sacrifice for sin and again conquer death. So my prayer is that you would take a deep gaze at His beauty this morning. Creator, Savior, the Word became flesh, the one who burst in and turned on the lights and brought us out of the lion's den of sin and death and the devil, and that you would find unshakable, untouchable joy in his light, in his life. Would you bow your heads? I'm just going to give you a little bit of time to reflect now. So first, I want to talk to you if you're an unbeliever. And again, that could mean you're here for the first time this morning. You've been sitting in worship services for 30 years. But if you have never felt <laughs> conviction over the darkness you're living in, if you're content with these false joys that the world offers, if you know in your heart there's a million things you love to do, Besides worship Jesus, I just want to ask you now, 
to repent, to turn from your sin, and just to come to Jesus. It's, it's that e- easy. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I just want to invite you this morning to, to hear the call of Jesus calling your name and come into the light and come into His life and ask for forgiveness from your sins. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus, but you know of those three or four or one or two or however many areas of darkness, you know the bitterness that plagues you, the, the lust that plagues you, the anger that plagues you, the need for control and the need for power and the need for comfort that dominates your life and dominates your thoughts in those quiet moments, would you take a few moments now and just ask Jesus, Jesus, shine. Shine into my darkness now. Make the darkness flee now. Help me overcome the devil who would like to rock me to sleep in my sin. So take a few moments and ask Jesus to shine into the darkness. give you a minute to just remember the love of God for you and Jesus. To remember that for all those things you were just confessing, all the areas you are asking Jesus to shine into, that if you trusted in Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I wanted to give you a minute to just worship Him. That He came and took on flesh and paid the price for our sins because He had to come as God and pay the price and that now there is no condemnation. Would you rejoice in His work, His finished work for your sins right now? So Lord Jesus, we do praise you. You are God. You are creator. We praise you that you left the eternal infinite joys of fellowship with your Father and you came, became flesh and dwelt among us. We praise you that you've helped us to see your glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so in this moment, whether for the first time or just by the power of your Spirit, enjoying it all the more for the millionth time. Would we worship you for who you are, for what you've done? And would it make all the difference in this Advent season and how we rest in our hearts and the joy we find in our hearts and the way we love our family and our friends and our neighbors? So Lord, we lay our darkness at the foot of the cross we ask you to shine your light even now as we come and eat and drink with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.church 
or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.